Sorry that our timer is not on the screen, but I think we're getting close, so we'll give you 60 seconds. Kind of find your spot. Thank you. So you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of our Bibles. And when you get there, you, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 1, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So I want you all to think back to a gift that you might have received at some point in your life that was the perfect gift at the perfect moment. The perfect gift at the perfect moment. I don't just mean a utilitarian, useful gift. I remember one time my grandmother for Christmas gave me a very large package of white tube socks. (laughs) Now, these were useful, but I wouldn't have described this gift as the perfect gift. We've all endured the white elephant you know, white elephant Christmas gift exchange at our workplace or at youth group or somewhere else, where there are these, you know, peculiar, interesting, but not very useful gifts. They may be impractical, they make the rounds, they're, they're fun, but not, you wouldn't ever say that's the perfect gift at the perfect moment. Or perhaps you're one of those people that gives gift cards because you have no idea what to give someone. Now, sometimes a gift card is the right gift at the right moment, but many times the reason you get a gift card is because someone doesn't actually know what the gift is that you need or want at that moment, so they give you this gift card. So the giver has really no idea what you actually need or want. 
But what I'm talking about this morning is a thoughtful gift giver who knows exactly what you or I need. A gift that will bring delight or bring help and gives it to you at just the right moment. I remember one time as a teenager, uh, we were approaching Christmas and, and I received this I received this lightweight Gore-Tex waterproof jacket. Now, a week later, I was in the Great Smoky Mountains backpacking an 80-mile trip, and the second day we get rain all day, and the third day we get two feet of snow. And that was the perfect gift at the perfect moment. That, that anorak from REI was just what I needed for that event. Another time uh, when Stacy and I were younger, uh, we, were, we, were, we had just had our fourth child, or about to have our fourth child, and her parents gifted us an old, used Chevy Astrovan. Now, this was the right gift at the right moment. Our sedan was no longer going to cut it for us. It was the right gift at the right moment, because the gift giver knew what we needed for that moment. So this morning, I would like us to consider a gift. A gift that God has for each one of us. We often think of it in other ways. We may think of it as a commandment, or we may think of it as a debatable theological conundrum. But in the end, I want to persuade you this morning that this is, in fact, a gift from God for such a time as this. A gift that we need at this moment. That is the gift of Sabbath rest. God has intended the Sabbath to be a gift for mankind for all of history, but I truly believe that we are at such a time in history that in history that we are in desperate need today of this gift individually. We're in our series right from the start where we're exploring what were things like at the beginning and how were they made right at the very beginning. And from the beginning, what, what was it like? How, what was life like? What was life with God like? How were, how, was, how were things as God made them? For the last few weeks, we've been in a, a few sermons about what it means to be man, male and female. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And, we're, and all that was day six as God made man. And now we're returning back to the days of creation. We started already this morning with, it was very good. But then something unexpected happens. The Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, all that exists in six days, ceased from all of his labors and blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So what does that even mean? So my goal this morning is to convince you that the gift of the Sabbath, the gift of a Sabbath day of rest, is for our good. So we'll look at four points. Number one, receive the Sabbath and remember your Creator. Number two, remember the Sabbath and rest, rest in your Redeemer. Number three, a little interruption here, do not regiment the Sabbath in the new covenant. And finally, number four, rest on the Sabbath to rehearse for your future. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my fellow travelers that are here this morning. I pray for those who are weary or busy. 
for those who are focused and distracted, for the students, for the stay-at-home moms, for the person in the office or on the job site, for the retired, for the engineer or programmer or electrician or salesman or soldier, for the lawyer or nurse or teacher or pastor, for the ones on disability or the ones at the peak of their career, for the unemployed or the entrepreneur, for the one who is striving and who does not feel like it is enough. Lord, I ask, give us your holy rest today. Help us to embrace and receive the gift of Sabbath rest. Lord, you said, come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, Lord, we come by faith this morning to receive and enjoy and participate in the rest for which you created us. And the rest that is held out in front of us is our future dwelling with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So number one, receive the Sabbath and remember your Creator. Look back at chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work. That he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because in it, on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So this is an unfortunate chapter break from chapter one to chapter two. We see this occasionally in the Bible. Remember, the chapter breaks themselves are not inspired. But here we clearly have the final day. The final part of the creation account that started in chapter 1, verse 1. And it goes all the way through chapter 2, verse 3. When you get to chapter 2, verse 4, we'll see a kind of a new chapter marker. Uh, these are the generations. And we'll see that throughout the book of Genesis several more times, which indicates a new section of the book. But here we have this last day of creation. So consider the statement in, in verse 1 here. The heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. God had brought the whole universe, everything that exists, all matter, all planets, all stars, all moons, all energy, all kinds of plants and insects, and whether or not he created mosquitoes in the original creation, we're not going to talk about it today, all insects and fish and birds and animals, all that was created God created all kinds of things that were created, and his power is on display. Miracle after miracle, creativity, beauty, intricacy, magnitude of God's wonderful creation in six days. And then, as suddenly as God started, he ceased. He finished. He stopped. So we should pay attention to at least three words here in these verses. And these are the three words we're going to look at. Rested, blessed, 
and holy. Rested, blessed, and holy. Of course, we've already mentioned before the significance of seven throughout this whole section of Scripture. Seven, seven, seven. Lots of sevens here. But let's look at rested together. God's plan to take six whole days and rest on the seventh was not because he needed that much time to create the universe. No. In fact, God could have created the universe in a moment, in the blink of an eye, with a simple word, and everything would have come into existence. But instead, because God is condescending to us and helping us understand the way the world works, God created the world in six days, and he rested on the seventh to give us a pattern to follow. So we need to realize when it says God rested, it's not that God was tired. This is from Alan Ross. The key word here is the well-known rest, sabbat. The word actually means cease more than rest as understood today. It's not a word that refers to remediating exhaustion after a tiring week of work. Rather, it describes the enjoyment of accomplishment, the celebration of completion. So when we think of God resting, don't think, wow, that was exhausting. That took a long time. That was a lot of energy expended. No, God is not resting because he's tired. God is celebrating what he has done. He's saying, I created all this. Look at it. Celebrate it. Enjoy it. Now, I have to admit here in the sermon, just in case I don't want you to bring this up later, nowhere in this passage is this day called the Sabbath day. Okay, so we're going out on a limb here based on scriptures that come later in the text. But, but here it's called the seventh day. But what we do have is this word rest, sabbat, which ends up becoming a word later for Sabbath, to cease, to rest. Of course, Exodus 20, the fourth commandment, is going to make this, uh, this Sabbath day clear as the seventh day of creation. But, but we do need to realize it doesn't say it right here in the text. Also, and I want us to notice this, there is no command in these verses. There is no command right here to keep the Sabbath. Instead, what we see is the example of our Creator keeping the Sabbath. Now, we'll eventually talk about the fourth commandment a bit more, but what we have right here is not a command, but there is an implication. There is more here simply than indicative statements about what God did. Rather, we see in verse 27 of chapter 1, God made man in his own image and after his own likeness. So the clear implication of the passage is God created man in his image to be like him, God rested on the seventh day. Those made in his image are to rest on the seventh day. We are to do the same thing. So we have this idea of resting, ceasing, stopping, finishing. Look in verse 3 to find our next word, blessed. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Friends, God blessed the seventh day. Now, this is not a word we always use to describe a day. However, we do sometimes say something like, hey, have a blessed day. So if you just stopped a moment and said, 
What are we saying when we say that somebody should have a blessed day? Have you ever thought about what this means? It could just be Southern hospitality that you grew up with. Have a blessed day. Well, I hope that we mean more than that. I I hope that when we say have a blessed day, that what we're saying is we know that you need God's blessing on your day. It is God that brings blessing on our days. Now, this is the third time in our passage in Genesis that we found the word blessed, that God blessed something. Now, the day is different, but we saw first God bless uh, creatures in chapter 1, verse 22, where he says, God blessed the fish and the birds by telling them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill. So we got birds and fish. God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Or in verse 28, and God blessed them, speaking of Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So thus far in creation, God's blessing means fruitfulness and fullness. So just think of those two ideas. Fruitfulness and fullness. This seems like a fine description to me of what God gives us through his blessing. Of the Sabbath day. God is interested in giving us fruitfulness and fullness as his image bearers. For whom is this blessing intended? Well, I believe when it says God blessed the seventh day, God isn't just blessing it for himself, God's blessing the seventh day for his image bearers, for all those made in his image. Now, because we often think of the Sabbath day as a special sign for the people of Israel, and it was a special sign for the people of Israel, which we'll look at in a moment, sometimes we think, oh, maybe the blessing of the seventh day is just for God's special covenant people. But that's not what we see here in our text in Genesis, is it? We see the blessing here for all those made in God's image. For all those made in God's image. There is a a blessing of Sabbath rest built into creation. This is a creation ordinance. It was something set down in the creation of the world, like marriage. This is a creation ordinance. It wasn't just given with the Ten Commandments. It existed from the very beginning. Remember our Our series is right from the start. God started with Sabbath rest. For all humanity, God intends the seventh day to be a blessing. Let's look at our third word, holy. Not only did God bless the seventh day, but he also made it holy. Now, this is the first time in all of the Bible where something is declared to be holy. It's set apart. It's special. It's different than all the other days. Now, it's important to see that this, what sets the seventh day apart is not merely the ceasing of labor, but the fact that this day is holy. It is set apart for God. One commentator says, says it this way, The resting in view on this seventh day is therefore a holy resting. 
To be sure, it is a day marked by the cessation of God's work in creating the world and everything in it. But that cessation is only the penultimate characteristic of that day. The ultimate characteristic of the day is worship. A worship that is tied to fruitfulness and fullness. So the ceasing is just part of what the seventh day is. Rather, this day is holy. It's holy to the Lord. So if we think of the creation, the arc of the narrative of creation, we may think, and in fact, in my last sermon talking about the six days, I kind of pointed to the highlight of these days of creation was the creation of man, male and female. The whole narrative is leading to the creation being ready for man, male and female, to inhabit and fill and bless the earth. But here we see that's, that's, not, that's not all the way there to the peak of the, of the ark. Rather, it's, and now God wants us to commune with him. God didn't just create the world so that it would be full of things and people and stuff, but that he would commune with his creation. The narrative goes to this peak, this arc of communion between God and those he has made in his image. I do think we ought to think of, of this first this first seventh day for a minute, from Adam and Eve's perspective. So what day were they created on? The sixth day. So what is the next day they experience? The seventh day. God creates Adam and Eve and all the animals, and the very next day, evening and morning, the very next day is a day of rest and communion with their Creator. We can't really know what it was like to live in that garden on that day of rest. You see, that, that day of rest, that seventh day, was not rest from toil that came from the fall. You see, we associate the need for rest with the toil from the curse or from the discouragement from sin. Or from the pain that we experience in this life. But I just want to remind us that we as as God's creatures needed rest even in Eden. You see, God made us to be creatures, not gods. We were not self-sufficient. We needed God and we needed God through a day of rest. God intended for Adam and Eve to enjoy one day of rest out of seven. This is how we were made. We assume that our need for rest is tied to the brokenness of the world. But but one of the significant aspects of of this narrative of creation is that God made us as creatures. Creatures that need rest. We learn this daily with our need for sleep. We learn this weekly with our need for Sabbath. And God sets the example so that we will follow in his footsteps. So just remember this, we were made for this rhythm. We were made for six days of work and one day of rest. So we should receive this Sabbath and remember our creator. Remember that we're creatures and he is the creator. 
Number two, let's remember the Sabbath and rest in our Redeemer, not merely our Creator, but also our Redeemer. So we're going to jump ahead a couple of thousand years or a few thousand years in human history. So Adam and Eve have sinned, the world has fallen, life has become much more complicated, many generations have been born and have died, and then we get to Israel in the wilderness. In fact, If we were to just say the word Sabbath, maybe the first thing that would come into your mind is the Ten Commandments. When Moses gave the commandments to Israel at Sinai, when they had been rescued out of Egypt. The beginning of Exodus 20 begins this way. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the introduction to the Ten Commandments. We should Remember this when we talk about the Ten Commandments, that God's reminding them here. I'm the God who rescued you. I'm the God who delivered you. You have been redeemed by my outstretched arms. And then we get to the fourth commandment, which is the most verbose of all of them. And just hear some of the reminiscence of Genesis 2. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And made it holy. So we've clearly moved on from the creation ordinance in Genesis, where the Sabbath is a gift to all people made in his image. We've moved from that to a command to the people of God, Israel. But we see many of the same foundations. We see the creation, we see six days and the Lord blessing the seventh day and making it holy. We see that Israel is supposed to experience these blessings, but also pass down the blessings of the Sabbath to all who are with them, to their children, to their servants, even to their livestock, were to experience this rhythm. Remember, we were made for this rhythm, six days of work, one day of rest that is holy to the Lord. But Moses will eventually go on beyond even this command of Sabbath where it becomes a sign, a sign of the Mosaic covenant. Now, we'll be learning more about covenants as we go through the book of Genesis, but we're familiar with at least two other covenant signs. We have a covenant sign with Noah. What is the covenant sign with Noah? The rainbow. It's the sign of that covenant. It's a reminder of God's promise to his people. We have another sign with Abraham, the sign of circumcision. It's a reminder to Abraham and his descendants of God's promises. And now with Moses, God gives another sign, the sign of the Sabbath. The sign of the Sabbath, which is, it takes on a greater meaning from the creation account. It becomes a sign of God's special relationship with God's special people. A sign that he had rescued them and redeemed them. We see this in in Exodus 31. You were to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all you shall keep my Sabbaths. 
For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. I, the Lord, sanctify you. This is a sign to remind you. God wanted them to keep the Sabbath, not only so they would remember him as creator, but that as the one who sanctifies them, who makes them holy. God had delivered them, and God was making them holy and setting them apart as a people devoted to him. See this again in Ezekiel. You shall keep my Sabbaths, that they may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Not just that I'm the Lord, but you have this sign to remind you, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. So this sign of belonging to God in the Mosaic Covenant was so significant that disregarding this Sabbath command was a capital offense. In Numbers 15, a man was found picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Well, what happens? And the Lord said to Moses, this man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. See, as a sign of the covenant, the Sabbath was a really, really big deal. To disregard that was to disregard God as Redeemer for the Israelites. To disregard God's command to them. In Ezekiel 22, the Israelites were failing to to keep the Sabbath. It says, Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have disregarded my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Now, this particular passage in Ezekiel is one thing that that inclines me to say the Sabbath command was for the Mosaic covenant and a part of the ceremonial law and not a part of the moral law for God's people for all time. I know there are some, even in this room, that may disagree with that and say, no, I think the Sabbath belongs to the moral law and is for all times and all peoples. And we'll talk about that some. But I think this particular verse in Ezekiel links the Sabbath to this idea of clean and unclean, of holy and common, in a way that the Israelites were to be set apart from the nations around them, not just in a morally superior way, but in a distinct way that made it obvious that they they belonged to Yahweh. So there were other ways that, that they were set apart from the nations around them, but this is certainly one. So let's jump ahead a few, uh, another 1,500 years or so and think about the time of Jesus. Now, clearly there were Jewish traditions building up through this time. They were adding human and man-made rules around the Sabbath. So we have, we have the Sabbath command in Scripture, but then by the time of Jesus, the Jews had come up with a lot of man-made rules about the Sabbath. And in fact, when you see the disagreements between Jesus and the Pharisees, it's often really about these man-made rules that were were written about the Sabbath. Now here's, I could have done several examples. I'm just going to do one here. This is from the Mishnah, which is a Jewish document. And here's an example. If a Gentile lighted a lamp, an Israelite may make use of the light. But if he lighted it for the sake of the Israelite, it is forbidden. 
If he filled a trough with water to give his cattle to drink, an Israelite may give his own cattle to drink after him. But if the Gentile did it for the Israelite, it is forbidden. So you can't, it's work to light the lamp. And it's work to fill the trough. So the Israelite said, you know what, we better not do those things. But if the Gentile does it, it's okay, we can use it. As long as they didn't do it for us. Like that's the kind of law that they would make about the Sabbath so that they could keep the Sabbath holy. And of course, Jesus famously reminded the Jews, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So we therefore should receive the Sabbath as a gift of rest, to remember our Creator and rest in our Redeemer. So let's talk about some clarifications. So number three, do not regiment the Sabbath in the New Covenant. Do not regulate the Sabbath in the New Covenant. Now there are various Christian traditions that disagree on how we should think about and talk about the Sabbath and what's required in the New Covenant. Um, There are even disagreements over which day the Sabbath should be. Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? And I'm, I'm attempting to make the case this morning that God has given the Sabbath day as a blessing and as a gift, but that the new covenant, which we are a part of, does not require or regiment certain behaviors on the Sabbath. Wayne Grudem, in his book on Christian ethics, would describe this view as wise but not required. Wise but not required. This is in contrast to a Sabbatarian view, which views that the fourth commandment is still in force today for Christians only on Sunday instead of Saturday. So we have two basic views. The Sabbatarian view that you must keep the Sabbath and to fail to keep it, it is sinful and could be disciplined. Or the Sabbath is a gift. We should receive it as a wise way to live our lives, but it's not There's not a particular set of behaviors that we're required to do on the Sabbath. Of course, there are disagreements over the tradition of Saturday or Sunday. Some Adventist groups will say Saturday is still the right day to worship, but the vast majority of Christians ever since the New Testament have worshipped on Sunday as the Lord's Day because Jesus rose from the dead on that day. Praise God. Now, The Sabbatarian view that we should keep Sabbath as a part of our discipleship and discipline has been a strong part of the Puritan tradition of which we have come from, and some of you have even been part of churches where if you fail to keep Sabbath, you will receive church discipline. So this is not our view, but but we should recognize that there's, I have a lot of respect for people who treat the Sabbath day with great respect and seriousness. But this is one example where our doctrine is slightly different from the Puritans and one place where our confession of faith is slight, it has been changed from the Second London Confession of 1689. So if you'll just bear with me, we're going to look at the old and the new here in our confession of faith to see the distinction. So, so in chapter 22 of the Second London Confession of 1689, this is a Puritan document. These are the two paragraphs about Sabbath. It's a little complicated to read, but we'll try As it is of the law of nature, that in general a proportion of time by God's appointment be set apart for the worship of God, so by his word in a positive moral and perpetual commandment binding all men in all ages, 
He has particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him, which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was on the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day, and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath, the observation of the last day of the week being abolished. The Sabbath then is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs aforehand, do not only observe an holy day of rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employment and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties and necessities and mercy. Okay, so that's the Sabbatarian position. So this day is set apart until the end of the world to be kept holy from all our own words, thoughts, work, and recreation. Okay. Now, notice that he says it's a perpetual commandment binding all men in all ages. They are to observe holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts. Now, I do have a great deal, as I said, of respect for people who hold this position and who devote themselves to the Lord on the Lord's day, which we actually should do. However, I don't believe the New Testament allows us to require Sabbath-keeping as a matter of discipline. Let's look at a couple of significant New Testament passages. Romans chapter 14. Paul says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he has given thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. I realize there could be disagreement over whether this is actually referring to Sabbath-keeping or non-Sabbath-keeping, but it is pretty plain. Some people esteem one day in a certain way, and some keep all days alike. I know, I, I, well, we'll explain more as we go. But I think what Paul is allowing here is a freedom which we're often uncomfortable with. He says you can esteem one day different than another or esteem all days alike. Be fully convinced in your own mind. And whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord and give thanks to him. So there seems to be freedom there. Or we can look at Colossians 2. Therefore, let no one, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. These are a shadow. They're, they're communicating something about that's true and that's real, but they're not the substance. The substance belongs to Christ. Friend, there is no true resting until we rest in Christ. The true rest that we need goes beyond ceasing from our vocations or our recreations. The true rest is in the gospel that Christ 
has done all that is required for our, our salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Christ has done all that is required to bring us near to the Father. He has brought us by faith into the completeness and the provision of salvation. Sabbath rest points to this reality. But Sabbath keeping cannot earn this reality. The point of Sabbath is more than rest from your day job. Even secularists realize that working seven days a week isn't good for us. Like they realize that that's not actually good. Like you do need a break. You do need rest. But what we're talking about is not merely some self-help routine for greater physical, emotional, or mental health. The creation of the Sabbath day was, was not only ceasing from labor, but directing our thoughts Godward for communion with God. So let's see how our Trinity Confession of Faith answers this in chapter 24. So this is what we've changed from the London Confession. This is what we say. On the seventh day of creation, our God rested from all his labor and bids us to receive this Sabbath rest as a gift. For the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath law was then commanded in the Decalogue for Israel to work six days and rest on the seventh. The New Testament promises a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. We should therefore strive to enter that rest by hearing His voice, not hardening our hearts, resting from our labors, and putting our faith and trust in Jesus, our true rest, rather than the striving in our flesh. In the New Testament, the church began to gather on the first day of the week, Sunday, for its corporate worship. This is commonly referred to as the Lord's Day in honor of the resurrection of our Savior. It is commendable. It is commendable to reserve this day for corporate and private worship. So I hope we can see the distinction between commendable in our confession compared to a perpetual commandment binding all men in all ages in the Puritan confessions. And this is why I've been, this is what I've been most concerned about in my sermon. So if I'm thinking, I'm thinking, this seems confusing, John. You're telling everybody they should keep the Sabbath and remember the Sabbath and enjoy the Sabbath and receive the gift of the Sabbath, but you're saying it's not required. So y'all just try to stick with me through that, that distinction to see the Sabbath as a gift for our good, yet it is not a binding moral law with accompanying discipline for the church. It is a creation ordinance. It was given to us for our good. We were made to live this way with six days of labor and the seventh day is a day of rest. But it is a gift to be received. So let's approach this fourth point with faith to welcome God's gift of Sabbath by faith. So number four, rest on the Sabbath to rehearse for your future. Even from the garden, the seventh day was eschatological. Now, that doesn't just mean it was pointing to the future, but it does mean it was pointing to the purpose for which we were made. The purpose for which we were made. This day was a, a taste of the final rest and communion which we will have with our Creator in the future. If Adam and Eve had not sinned, 
then perhaps their future would have been ushered in permanently through the tree of life where they experience this communion with God that they taste on the seventh day. But as it is, there's still a future resting for which the Lord is preparing us and for which we have not experienced. The New Testament authors try to capture this in different ways, but the author of Hebrews discusses it in chapters 3 and 4. So Hebrews 4, 8, we read this. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. And then he comes with this final exhortation. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. But please don't hear that striving and think working. That's the, that's the opposite of what he's trying to say. We have to strive to enter that rest by striving to rest in God. This is a good word for us today. Friends, we need to strive to rest. We enjoy the first fruits of that rest today. We know that we cannot save ourselves. We know that Christ has already accomplished what must be accomplished for our salvation. And our hope doesn't rest in ourselves or in our labors or in our accomplishments, but it rests in the obedience of another, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he offers us rest in our souls as well as our bodies. But friends, we, we need to hear this message of rest. We began this morning by talking about a gift that was the perfect gift at the perfect moment. And I truly believe that God has a gift for us. A gift that's perfect for what we need in this moment. That is the gift of Sabbath. Rest. Unlike most of human history, we have the ability to work anytime and anywhere. Our to do list is long and it's right there in our pocket at all times. We're constantly connected. We're constantly connected with people in the outside world, including our co workers or our bosses, who can make demands and make requests. And have expectations that we will respond in days or hours or minutes or even seconds to their beck and call. And in a, in a, in a culture struggling to find identity in anything other than being made in the image of God, we often measure our value or worth by our productivity how much we can get done. This is wrapped up in the American dream. We can become anybody if we work hard enough, if we try harder than the other guy, if we don't let up, if we work hard to get ahead. And there's a whole genre of books and blogs about maximizing our productivity. I actually love these kinds of books. I love to listen to them or read them. Getting things done, deep work, atomic habits. These are all great tools. They are terrible masters. They're terrible masters. The creation tells us that we need rest. The gospel tells us that we 
can find rest. The Sabbath reminds us that we are not enough. Our attempts to rest, they just stir up the discontentment and busyness and chaos that's in our souls. Resting reminds us that we're not enough, that we depend on another. Sabbath is a reminder that we have limits. This is from a great book that I've been reading. Trying to Sabbath brings almost everyone the same realization. I can't get it all done. Maybe it's the laundry. Maybe it's the yard project. Maybe it's the work emails or a job search. Whatever it is, when you plan to stop for work for 24 hours, you come to the stubborn reminder that you can't do it all. This is the point. Practicing Sabbath is supposed to make us feel like we cannot get it all done. Because that is what reality is. We can't do it all. Sabbath protects us from acting like the lie that we can. We have to realize our limitations with Sabbath. Sabbath reminds us of several things. Salvation comes from the Lord. There's no amount of striving, no amount of working that can bring salvation. Sabbath reminds us that provision comes from the Lord. One of the, one of the ways the Israelites practiced Sabbath was they, they were not allowed to collect manna on the seventh day. Just think of the act of trust. How are we going to eat if we can't get food on the seventh day? But what did God do? He provided. When they walked in faith, God provided Sabbath reminds us that we are creatures with limitations and weaknesses. We are not gods. Sabbath reminds us we cannot do it on our own. Sabbath reminds us that we were made for fellowship and communion with God. Sabbath reminds us that there is a future day coming where we will finally experience the true rest from all of our toil. Now, if you're like me, you find it hard to rest. Over the last couple of 18 months, I've gone on two personal retreats with the specific purpose of finding rest for my soul and body for several days each time. It was, it was really hard. It was really hard. For several days, both times, my mind was just constantly swirling looking for distractions, pursuing meaning and purpose in being productive or helpful. It was really excruciating to strive to rest. Friends, that's what God's calling us to. He is offering us a rest. Receive the gift of Sabbath because we were made to live in this rhythm. A couple of ways you may want to think about it. Uh, this is one book I've, I've read over the last year. It's called The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. It has four daily habits and four weekly habits to help you rest in God. And of course, one of them is keeping the Sabbath. This is what he says. Pick a 24-hour period. Seems simple enough. This is, this is action item number one. Pick a 24-hour period. He particularly does it Saturday at sundown to Sunday at sundown. But you don't have to do it that way. It doesn't even have to be a particular day. Perhaps you like 
me work on Sunday. Like, Sunday is not my Sabbath. I have to pick a day to rest. He encourages us to figure out what you should do and not do on your day of rest. Resting is not just ceasing from doing anything. When God rested from his creative work, it wasn't he didn't do anything on the seventh day. He communed with his people. And so the same thing is true for us. We don't cease from doing everything, but we change what we do to rest in God. And he encourages a communal Sabbath, Sabbathing as a community. Like, remember that others around you need rest too. Rest in God together. That's a part of what we do in worship as we rest in God together. We remind each other that we are not enough, but that God is enough, and we need him. Um, he encourages and recommends for us um, electronic Sabbaths. Perhaps this would serve you, perhaps it wouldn't, but putting your phone in the other room or turning it off for a day, it's going to be okay. It's hard. I don't always do it nearly as much as I should. And yet, it's amazing. It's amazing what God can do in the clarity of your mind when you're not distracted every 30 seconds by some notification. Consider, as a part of your receiving the gift of Sabbath, is setting aside, the, setting aside those vying for your attention so that you can give your attention to those you're present with and to the Lord. Well, finally, here's one last encouragement. The Sabbath was not instituted to make you feel guilty, but to make you feel known and loved. It was meant to reorient your view and experience of God and His world. As Jesus later explained, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, contradicting our temptation to imagine that God's love for us depends on our productivity. One day a week, He says, stop, look up. Look around, lift your heart, delight, and rest. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, it's hard for us to stop and look up and look around and lift our heart and delight and rest. And yet we so feel the need for that rest. We so feel and experience the need for that restoration of our souls through communing with you. Lord, thank you that you gave us the example of Sabbath rest out of your desire to commune with us, that we would make this day holy, that we would, by faith, lift our eyes to see what Christ has done to accomplish our salvation, to practice resting for that day in the future when we will be with you face to face. Lord, help us. By your Spirit, strengthen us as we strive to enter that rest. Amen.